pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. A problem with your heating system? Call R.E. Coogan Heating today, 401 732 6562. 24 hour emergency service, gas boiler, oil burner, Coogan Heating, 401 732 6562. They're helpful, trustworthy, reliable. Explore their services. Look for them on Facebook and the website is recooganheating.com. Residential services, as Coogie says, let us into your home. Don't fix it alone. Plumbing, heating, and cooling from winter to summer. Trained technicians provide 100% service, one customer at a time. From service calls, maintenance agreements, installation, RE Coogan Heating. Proud to help residential customers, and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority. Call them today. Now it's cold. It's going to remain cold. Call Coogan Heating today, 401 732-6562. It's Coogie. It's 24-hour emergency service. Hey, not long ago, our hot water tank gave out. What did I do? Did I panic? Did I try to fix it? I called Coogan Heating, 401-732-6562. Look for them on Facebook, and then the website is recooganheating.com. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It is Thursday. Well, on one hand, boy, it'd be very exciting, completely unrelated to what we normally talk about. But I, this will be incredible uh, to watch if, in fact, Tiger Woods does play in the Masters. The, the weather is just this brutal weather up and down the East Coast. I know that it's supposed to be also opening day of baseball, but... It's just uh, this dreadful rain. I mean, the good news is it will at some point clear out. But um, but the Masters, and especially Tiger Woods, this will be the 25th anniversary of when he just uh, took over. And I, I remember that so vividly for, for different reasons. But um, it, it also just, you know, brings us through the the process of April and Palm Sunday and Easter and, and spring uh, at times can be very enjoyable. Folks, this portion of the program, right to right, Ron's Pastry Gourmet. They're open right now. Make it a great day. Stop by at Ron's Pastry Gourmet, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. They have delicious, most delicious calzones, fresh pizza strips. They also have the Let's Go Brandon Donuts and Cupcakes. You're going to love it. Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Everything baked fresh. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. Again, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence, right next to AAA in there off of uh, Silver Spring Street. Well, yesterday was quite the, um, you know, I'm surprised the press is not making more of it. I found it to be a bizarre press conference with Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. You know, we had been talking about how is he going to handle it. It was the first time he was trying to address the media as he's now the subject of this this FBI probe. And so it starts off now for different reasons. I normally try to go to those. Normally I am there, but I could not make it yesterday. But first of all, he starts off, who's he with? But Bud Craddock, the head of the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, because they've announced the winner of the license plate design, even though it's really not much different than the current design. But as they're standing there, the two of them, so you have Craddock's under investigation with the state police still because they raided rental properties that he, for the second time now, renting out to these uh, sleazy massage-type places, and then he's standing next to Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, who's under investigation by both the state police and the FBI. So I, if anything, I, I'm just wondering if somehow the local media was intimidated. And it came down to the very end. Governor had time for a few questions. And he had this set notion of what he wanted to convey to the media. I want to play it for you. It's not long. But in, in the first part, you can't really hear, but it's, it's just what should the people take away, people of Rhode Island, that, in fact, uh, and I think it was um, uh, the report, I, I, it was either the Boston Globe or the Providence Journal asking the question. I, I think it was the Boston Globe. So, but this was, uh, and, and then Governor McKee, he, he had this line that he wanted to throw out, so he was waiting for. He thinks it's a good line. I'm not convinced it's a good line, but this is um, yesterday. Here we go. Oh, I, it was uh, from the Boston Globe. Yeah, so I know that it certainly is a topic that is of, of discussion, and my message to the people of the state of Rhode Island is to remind them that it was a, it was a state of emergency. 
State of emergency. That, uh, that when I came in, and, uh, you know, I think we have to keep... We stop re- the tape for just for a moment. So he was set for this. I want to, you know, address the people, but I remind them. So now I don't know if Governor McKee is saying he broke the law because it was a state of emergency or that's some kind of an excuse. That part's unclear. I broke the law because it was a state of emergency. You know, somebody gets pulled over by the police. You, sir, you're going 90 miles an hour. Uh, you know, my wife is next to me. She's pregnant. We're she's she's in labor. We're, we're, I, I am speeding, but it's an emergency. We're going to the hospital. So I don't know if if he was, in fact, saying that. But he is he feels that he has a set response now for anticipating the question. Let, let's hear it out. Reminding people who are reporting on this that um, we had the lowest vaccination rate. We had the highest death rates, the highest um, infection rates. Highest death rates, uh, lowest uh, vaccination rates. Um, the, vac- the vaccine was brand new. First time I've heard we have had the highest death rates. Boy, the, the Raimondo people certainly weren't touting that. When he was taking over last year, I don't remember him touting that. We had the highest death rates? That I don't remember. Uh, it was a state of emergency. It was a true state of emergency. Three so, times he said. I it. never, I always did what was in the best interest of the, for the people in the state of Rhode Island. And I never overreached the authority that I had as a governor. But I would also say that. Here we go. When the dust settles, a question for you. Uh, so he's posing the question now to the person that asked him to. And this is the part that he feels is a solid line. Uh, This is what you say. So when the dust settles, now I want to remind people, this is Governor Rhode Island, Governor Dan McKee yesterday. The investigation is being done by the FBI. So you can take the press media out of it. Take Channel 10, 12, Providence Journal, Boston Globe, John DePietro, out of it. He's still being investigated by the FBI. Listen to what he says next. When the dust settles... And you come up empty. When you, the dust settles and you come up empty. Now, they're not the ones investigating him. The FBI is. But somehow he has settled on this line that he thinks is brilliant, is, is uh, you know, poignant. And, and you come up empty. And then listen to this. Who's going to have the courage to write that story? All right, who's going to have the courage to write that story? Now, first of all, it was broken by Channel 12. That's number one. Number two, Channel 10 broke the story that it was, in fact, an FBI investigation. So he has settled on this when the dust settles and you come up empty. Well, first of all, the media would not be coming up empty. It would be the FBI came up empty. Who will have the courage to write that story? What, what does that even mean? Is he suggesting that he's been vindicated and no one wrote about it? This is where he's channeling the whole, you know, this was Dan McKee's, you're not going to find any stains on this jacket type of moment. This was, you know, Richard Nixon, you're not going to have Nixon to kick around anymore. So, but he was so proud of the line. Listen, he he starts walking away. He comes back to the mic when Brian Crandall of NBC10 asked him a question. He goes back to the mic. I'll repeat. When you come up empty... Who's going to have the courage to write that story? Brian Crandall correctly says, but Governor, we're not, it's the FBI that's investigating you. So what do you mean? I'll repeat. When you come up, what do you mean when they come up empty? Now, the reason that doesn't make sense is because it doesn't make sense. Someone came up to, here's what you should say. When, throw, turn it on the media. You know, this is Governor McKee's fake news type of speech to the media. When you come up empty, who's going to have the courage to write that story? Walk off. What is he? Does anyone have any idea what he's talking about? Brian Crandall is not investigating Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. Uh, the, the, the Channel 12 is not investigating Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. The FBI, the U.S. Attorney, as a matter of fact, we might as well keep going. The state police and the Attorney General Peter Naroda are investigating Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. Now, the FBI is involved is because he grabbed $5 million of federal money. So that's why they're involved. It was a true state of emergency. So, And I never, I always did what was in the best interest of the, for the people in the state of Rhode Island. And I never overreached the authority that I had as a governor. Oh, well, we're going to find but out. I would also say that. Here we go. Here's his when line. When the dust settles, a question for you. Question for you, the media. Uh, when the dust settles 
and you come up empty. Who's going to have the courage to write that story? <laughs> what is he talking about? I'll repeat. When you come up empty, who's going to have the courage to write that story? He walks off and thinks that he has come up with this brilliant line. I, what, I, again, I don't blame, but I, I am surprised the media is not playing that up more. Because that was a very defiant moment. That is a frustrated governor. I have, folks, check to Petro.com. That's a meltdown that he is now going after the room. And that's what he sounds like he's going to do. Um, is Rhode Island prepared to elect someone to a four-year term who is the subject of an FBI probe? This I want to see. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying it can't happen. I just want to witness it. But that was quite a moment. Maybe the media, they could be intimidated. I, I think someone, the television stations, want him to debate. So they're afraid that they're going to fray the relationship more. They should not be afraid of that. When Buddy Cianci was very defiant with the media, I'm going to fight this all the way to the Hague. You're not going to find any stains on this jacket. It, it led the news. Governor McKee stands up. Who's going to have the guts to write that story? When you, pointing his finger at the people, when you come up empty, it's the FBI that's investigating him. This isn't a media investigation. All right, a lot more ahead on this. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service, over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios and much more call them today for a free quote 401-732-1730 j perry paving they are tremendous they also how about this once a month they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran and remember whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed call j perry paving for a free quote it makes a huge difference in your property in your home in your driveway or patio 401-732-1730 j perry paving 401-732-1730 you can also find them on facebook they're terrific hey get that driveway paved call and book an appointment now 401-732-1730 for j perry paving folks you're listing to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11 and we go until 2 p.m. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Uh, joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It is our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, uh, a lot of different things we could choose from, but I'd like to start, if you don't mind, with uh, Alex Jones. Alex Jones apparently now has made his way into the deposition. Not sure how long this is going to go, but um, as the judge, folks, this has to do with, you know, in the aftermath tragedy of Sandy Hook in uh, Newtown, Connecticut. Alex Jones, even though now he's admitted the shooting was real, but took to the airwaves of Infowars and was saying that it was all fake and those were actors. And as a result of that, nuts viewers followers listeners of alex jones started calling harassing the poor parents that lost children that were killed in that brutal school shooting in uh, sandy hook in newtown connecticut and it it sounds as if now things are moving in the direction that they're going to start to get a chance to question him quite a bit well, yes, in this case, there's, there's two competing cases. There's a Connecticut case, there's a Texas case, but he is being deposed, I believe, in the Texas case. It's a, it's a two-part trial from what I understand. In, ter in terms of the first phase of the trial, it was determined that this guy, Alex Jones, was at least, at the very least, negligent, um, for promulgating this clearly false information, which then held these families, these grieving families, up to ridicule, you know, a lot of hate mail, hate speech from Alex Jones supporters and other conspiracy theorists out there. My understanding is that the second phase of this trial is how much should Alex Jones have to pay? Now, there's two elements of damages. Number one, 
the families have a claim for compensatory damages. They could all get up on the stand and say, my life is in a shambles. I lost my son, my daughter. You know, some teachers died. It was all real. Um, I've been seeing psychiatrists. I lost my job. You know, I became addicted on painkillers. You know, my life is just spiraled down. Right. And it's in large part, separate and apart from the loss of my loved one, it's the ridicule, the scorn, the the um, harassment. They, yeah, all they because to, of, some of them had to change their, their phone numbers, Tim Dodd, just because, you know, then as the names were surfacing, <clears throat> you know, some of his followers were actually calling them constantly, calling, harassing, leaving uh, terrible messages, was, uh, by the way, which I'm sure could then be played during the course of the trial. But this is all because of him announcing and telling people that this was a false flag and it actually didn't happen when, of course, it did. But let's take person X who lost a yep. child. They may say, I lost my job. I got divorced. I had to see therapists. I become an alcoholic, blah, 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 all horrible things. The next person says, yeah, I saw a psychiatrist for six months, but I'm all set. You know, each one of these plaintiffs has a claim which might have a different monetary value. Mm. Just just comparing it, and it's not a fair comparison, but like in the station fire, not everyone got the same amount of money because there was a large, um, many, many, many different variations of injury, some deaths, some horrific, some you know, not so visible, not so catastrophic. Right. What, you don't know what these people are going to testify, but being compensatory damages, you know, the jury could say plaintiff X gets a million dollars, plaintiff um, B gets $2 million, plaintiff C gets a half a million dollars. Yep. There's also the specter of punitive damages. Punitive damages are available to punish the defendant. Um, we see it many times in product liability cases and in medical malpractice cases sometimes, but more in products cases. Punitive damages are intended to slap the wrist, to punish monetarily the wrongdoer. Sarah Palin had won her trial. You know, right. her, her compensatory damages might have been small, but punitive damages against a big... A company like the New York Times could could have been significant. Oh. So one of the things that will be looked at, I'm sure, is what's Alex Jones worth? Yeah. So then what is an appropriate portion of his worth to for him to pay to punish him, separate and apart from compensatory damages, to punish him for the reckless conduct that he engaged in. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons that he's been trying to dodge these depositions for so long. They will eventually learn what he's worth. It's assets versus liabilities. And it will be up to the judge as the gatekeeper of the evidence that comes in to determine what a jury will get to hear. But if you get damage phase, the jury must learn something of this guy's finances so that they can fashion an appropriate um, penalty, if you will. So, you know, this guy tried to get out of it by paying what each, each plaintiff, I think $212,000 or some preposterous yep. number, he's going to get whacked. Huh. And the amount he's going to get whacked will be predicated on what his real net worth is, which I have no idea. And Tim Dodd, is that potentially what, like a percentage of, we're going to find out maybe how much revenue he actually makes off of InfoWars? Well, yes. And yeah. what, what's his stock portfolio? How much is yeah. he in real estate? There's a lot of moving parts here. How mm. well has he sheltered it? Does he have his property in various trusts? Is his money yeah. offshore? Um, you know, he's got, I'm sure, various corporate entities. I'm sure he's not going to make it as simple as saying, everything's in my name here's where it all is. Yeah. I'm sure he's got this thing fractured in, you know, shell corporations. Sure. Um, he'd be a smart man to try to um, frustrate and make difficult finding out what he's really worth. I think one, one last thing about this. I, I'm, I think that he and his attorney are still doing videos as this thing is going on, like for the fans. I, I just, I don't see how, 
I I understand why he would do it for the for the fans of Infowars. So I'm not sure it's a it's a good idea of how this may end up looking uh, to a judge. Oh, financially, he's going to get creamed. The yeah. question will be: Does he have the means or the ability or the appetite to pay? He could right. probably jam this up in court for quite some time. Okay, but you know, there's a train coming at him and he's standing in the middle of the tracks and it's coming and it's going to hit him. Folks, again, we'll speak with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I want to, we're going to hop around just a little bit. This is uh, intriguing. It just broke. There's, there's a bill in Rhode Island being aggressive honking by drivers. And the question is, would that violate free speech? Now, this one I had not heard of. Um, I, I think some of the people behind it tend to be a little progressive. But do you think curious, yeah, no, <laughs> I just think um, that, that, again, I know it's the early stages of it. I just I don't think I've, I've heard of anything like this, that aggressive honking a bill would ban that. So I don't know how, how else would you describe a honk other than just the simple honking of a horn is almost could be deemed somewhat aggressive. So what about this about someone is upset, someone didn't take the turn someone's sitting at the light not moving on their phone as it turns green someone talks um john we're in we're in crazy world i mean what the progressives have been doing nationally we've got a little bit of it here in rhode island my understanding is that this bill has been put forth by the progressive wing of you know the uh party that's the majority um largely at the behest of, I guess, certain bicycle riding interests, organized bicycle groups, because I guess many times bicyclists are in the roadway. Motorists don't like it. They feel that they're too far out in the road or something. They honk at the bicycle um, person, startling them, causing them to potentially lose control or look behind them or frighten them. It's um, hard to put your finger on it. But this bill as drafted, is clearly unconstitutional. Okay. It violates the First Amendment right to free speech or free uh, freedom of expression. And honking your horn is a form of expression. It's not yeah. verbal, verbal, but it's expression. Right. So what is, quote-unquote, aggressive honking of your horn? Is it if you honk for two seconds when one second would have done? Is it honking five times when two times would have done? Um, there's also something in this bill which would basically, uh, I think, make it um, illegal to honk at somebody on a bicycle because you might scare them. So try to play out the hand. You're driving. I'm behind you. I honk at you. You say that Tim Dodd, he was aggressively honking at me. How are you going to prove it in court? Where's yeah. the cop witness? How are you going to prove what's aggressive? What's too many honks? What's too long of a honk? It's, it's the enforceability problems are insurmountable. Further, as the um, opponents of the bill have pointed out, what if you're driving down Route 95 and um, there's people on the overpass, you know, honk if you support the military. Right. And you start honking. Well, is that, is that a violation? Because now you're honking. Yeah. You know, people leave a wedding. The, the bride and groom are driving off. People start honking their honking. horns. Yes. You know, that type of thing. I see a friend of mine walking down the street. I honk three times because he doesn't realize it's me right away. Right. Is that aggressive? I mean, it's, yep. it's absurd. Further, John, almost this exact statute um, Rhode Island lifted the language from a statute which was enacted in Oregon, which is really a wonderful state to be following. I mean, they're way out there. But the Oregon statute became law by the legislators in in Oregon. There was an appeal in federal court, and the appellate court statute was unconstitutionally vague, violated the, your First Amendment rights, and w- although maybe well-intended, was clearly unenforceable. That determination by a federal court judge is now on appeal to, I think it's the Ninth Circuit out there. So Rhode Island would be smart to wait and see what the courts ultimately do 
um, with the Oregon statute before they just, you know, plow ahead trying to enact something which likely will not pass constitutional muster. Uh, any, any of your listeners can come up with dozens of examples in their own world as to when you honk a horn, how many times you honk, how long yeah. you lay on the horn. Um, you could never prosecute these things unless you happen to find a cop within earshot of what was going on, right. um, which is just not, it's not realistic that it's going to happen that way. So this is feel good legislation which um, should never be enacted into law. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I've been at a covered protest, Tim Dodd, with, especially when the truckers go by and then they give the big honk on the trucks and then, and then the whole crowd goes crazy and so forth. I mean, I guess that could also come under uh, aggressive honking. And, and, wouldn't, and wouldn't, that be just, it wouldn't that be an effort by maybe these progressives to yes. suppress the political right. rights of yes. people to honk their horns in their cars or their trucks. That's right. Much like the, uh, the truckers up in Ottawa. Folks, quick break. A lot more. Attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. <laughs> in the Brood Awakenings and discovered the Brood difference. Two locations in Johnston, also in Cranston, Pontiac Avenue, and then also Bald Hill Road in Warwick. Brood Awakenings, they're local Fresh ingredients, cozy environment, great comfortable chairs, delicious breakfast sandwiches, lunch, great drinks and coffee, and plenty of room to spread out and meet people. I'll see you, and you'll discover the brood difference at Brood Awakenings. Speaking with our legal expert, it is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this uh, next uh, piece of legislation, I kind of think this is somewhat interesting, and, and you have to, people have to first read it, but... Because the housing um, shortage, really a housing shortage, and so so many homes were in demand, apparently people then would contact the owner, you know, um, so-and-so. And this is a little bit about, we, this, I do this, I met my husband, here are our kids, uh, we fell in love with your house, we really envisioned living there. And so this apparently goes on, and apparently it, it can be effective. People almost want to I guess, apparently turn over their home maybe to another family that maybe, oh, okay, you know, we raised our family here. This seemed like a nice group and they would have their family here. But then uh, people are alleging that, that somehow that this could then be a bias because then the, the, the seller could learn quite a, you know, a lot about uh, the buyer and almost that it would be a, a negative um, a factor of, of this. And so they're, they're talking about maybe banning these so-called real estate love letters. This is another piece of legislation, which I think is a lot more well-intended than that horn honking bill. This one has, I think, a legitimate purpose, but it also has enormous problems. It's true that the folks who are putting forth this legislation say, well, wait a minute. If someone's selling their house and they're getting these love letters from people, um, you get a, let's assume you're a terror, not you, but a person selling their home is a terrible person. And the person gets um, a number of these love letters and Maybe they have a problem with um, a gay couple who wants to buy their house. Maybe they don't like a straight couple who wants to buy their house. Maybe they don't like a different minority who is looking. So they say, well, I don't like this minority group, so I'm not going to consider them for purchasing my house. That would be um, against federal law, against state law. And if that was what a particular homeowner was doing, um, trying to edit out groups that he or she didn't like, that would be completely wrong um, and probably violative of some uh, federal statute. If you could prove it, how are you going to prove what's in the mind of somebody? You know, oh, look at this is a nice husband and wife. They got three kids running around. Isn't that charming? They might like that group or they might say, I'd rather sell it to the gay couple. I mean, There should be no bias based upon any of these um, characteristics, age, sex, national origin, sexual orientation. None of that should come into play. The folks who are putting this forth say it will come into play. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the realtors organization, they've got a lobbyist and, you know, realtors are well organized and they kind of don't like the notion of these love letters. They think that all communication should go through the realtors. They want to control the flow of information. You know, they want to be the um, go-between between buyer and seller. And that's a legitimate thing that they want to accomplish. What about the person who's selling the home by themselves without a realtor for yep. sale by owner? Are they precluded from getting these love letters? Um, it becomes tricky. The further problem, John, is if you make these love letters um, illegal, is that a restraint on free speech and free expression? Why can't I send a letter to the guy down the street saying, I'd love to buy your house. I'd be a good caretaker of it. I want to raise my family there because, you know, I've seen what you've done over the years and I want to continue the tradition. Why can't I say that? That's, that's, that's first amendment material. Hmm. So you've got first amendment material um, coming up to butt against the specter of a seller using information gained for discriminatory purposes and Hmm. preventing that type of discrimination is a legitimate concern, but the legislation as it's currently um, drafted I don't think would pass constitutional muster, although well intended. I think the first amendment problem again will croak this legislation. If the general assembly is so foolish to pass it in its current form, feel good legislation, but it's unconstitutional. Folks, so speaking with our legal expert attorney, Tim Todd, you know, Tim, many times um, when there are overdoses, a lot of people say, well, you know, what about the person that sold that person the drugs and how come they're not being held responsible and even in rhode island i mean they're still supposedly moving towards these safe injection centers what's different about this i believe the Pawtucket case where because of the overdose uh, the individual involved is being held without bail well if if law enforcement can connect the dots um and the person dies from a drug overdose illegally obtained can trace those drugs back to the person who sold the drugs to the person who ultimately died person selling the drugs if you can prove that those drugs were the drugs that caused this person to overdose and die there's there's legislation in rhode island it's the law that those persons if you can prove they sold the, the 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 deadly drugs if you will can be prosecuted criminally for that conduct. Uh, There's a gentleman this week who is being held without bail because the cops claim they can prove that an individual who overdosed purchased the specific drugs that killed him from this particular defendant. Now, this guy's being held at the ACI um, held without bail. I'm not sure if he's a violator. This is a story which is just breaking. I don't think the charge in and of itself would warrant necessarily being held without bail. Although there is this case when they raided the defendant's house, he had like pounds of marijuana, lots of fentanyl, lots of cocaine. Clearly there's an intent to distribute the amount of fentanyl he had could kill everyone in Rhode Island. And the, typically when assessing bail, as we've discussed before, a judge must consider if the person is a flight risk and is the person a danger to the community. And perhaps the theory is this guy had so much narcotics and was such a, you know aggressive drug pusher and willing to sell drugs, which could have de- deadly consequences that him being a threat to the community warranted him being held without bail. So it's either that or that he's a violator, but he will be prosecuted. And if they can prove he sold the, the drugs that killed the guy, he's going to have a significant criminal problem in front of him. Tim Dodd, staying with Pawtucket, uh, Officer Dolan, who was involved with the, the teen shooting last summer, who then got himself into a, a domestic problem. I'm aware of this case. Um, I, I, I think I had, or I've seen the video where there's some kind of a altercation with this couple and it's in a, starts off in a store, then it's up, ends up in a park. 
is this now that there's almost like blood in the water and so people are just coming out of the woodwork almost like anyone that had any type of questionable arrest with Officer Dolan of Pawtucket? And again, I'm no defender of the guy, but is this sometimes what happens when you have someone who then, you know, kind of high profile as run afoul of the law? Well, it's certainly <laughs> your expression that there's blood in the water is certainly legitimate and it might motivate a person who may have a personal injury claim against this guy to um, move forward. You know, it's always a difficult thing when you're going to challenge a member of law enforcement for having, you know, um, treated you um, roughly or caused you injury or assaulted you criminally or otherwise caused you physical injuries. This, this officer, as your listeners will recall, is the same guy last year who, for inexplicable reasons, while off duty, chased a car with, I think, three teenagers down in yep. North Kingston, followed him for reasons that don't make sense, tried to box him in a parking lot. They get away. He gives chase further and shoots at the car, injuring the driver, a teenage driver. So that's an inexplicable, odd situation, um, which one might think has something to do with perhaps either a psychological issue or perhaps an anger management issue, just speculating. The guy then gets jammed up a few weeks back um, for a domestic um, incident where he, I think, threw his son out the front door and then threw an object at the family car as wife and son were trying to escape, smashing the uh, windshield of the car. Um, again, the same concerns would arise. Now, this case with this couple who claimed that they were um, assaulted by um, this officer, Dolan. Now, this couple did not file suit previously because after Dolan got done manhandling these folks, he had them charged criminally, or at least the wife, the woman in this situation charged criminally. Her case wound up in superior court. She ultimately disposed of the case um, with an Alford plea where you basically maintain your innocence. So you never admit guilt. You maintain your innocence, and if you stay out of trouble for a year, the um, case is dismissed. Many times when you get a filing in district court, you have to admit that there are sufficient facts that um, if prosecuted, you could be convicted. You've got to admit basically that you did it. Yep. This woman in Superior Court, the case was so bad against her that she was able to get away with maintaining her innocence, never admitting mm. that she did anything wrong. She stayed out of trouble for a year. The year is up. So now she's good to go. So now is the appropriate time for her to have brought suit against this guy. Mm. Um, you know, his lawyer says that the, the allegations are overstated, that it's scurrilous, that not, didn't happen the way this, uh, these plaintiffs say it happens, but it's, you know, when you get now three times with um, the allegations anyway, are that this officer's conduct seemed to be outside of the norm of what would be appropriate for a cop, either from an anger management standpoint or like a psychological response to what's going on. It, it does seem like this officer has um, something of a troubled um mental makeup on his hands there's something yeah. wrong here mm. folks quick break a lot more attorney tim dodd right here much more head on the john DePetro show portion of the program brought to you by the kui sit in check them out on the website dipetro.com the kui sit in or an island tradition since 1977 located 226 Cuisett Avenue in West Warwick whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers there's always a great crowd you can link directly to them and gift certificates are available the Cuisett Inn 226 Cuisett Avenue in West Warwick we speak with our legal analyst attorney Tim Dodd <clears throat> Tim the world was shocked uh, broke uh, early in the week of the atrocities that uh, allegedly the Russian soldiers committed in some of these areas in Ukraine, which they had taken over. 
And President Biden's first reaction was, we need to have a trial and Putin needs to go on trial as a war criminal for these uh, brutalities, for uh, some people, Zelensky saying genocide, but at least uh, these just horrendous mass graves and uh, various other things being done. But as much as President Biden is saying, you know, he needs to go on trial and so forth. and, And I know I believe they're documenting and building a case. But again, it goes back to Tim Dodd. What what are the odds that they're going to be able to get Putin to go into a courtroom where they're going to, even prior to that, serve with a subpoena? It, it, it just, I mean, it sounds good, but it just seems like a, a tall order that they would ever be able to get him inside a courtroom. It's a very tall order that they would ever get him into a courtroom. I mean, he would have to either lose the war or yeah. he would have to be overthrown by... Um, his inner circle um, in such a manner that he could be extradited to right. um, I captured guess the, and held yeah, yeah. and then sent off to the Hague for a war crimes trial mm. um, further there's the it's, it's this horrifically sad um, the evidence that we're coming oh. up with and seeing nightly really non-combatants oh women and children, people who are just riding their bicycles, clearly their hands and feet are bound and they're shot in the head. So it's not like they're participating, or even if they were participating in the war, they're civilian non-combatants for all the world to see, Mm. and they're being executed. That's the definition of a war crime. Now, let's assume the soldiers are doing it in a rogue kind of way. Um, you would have to in, go up the, the ladder or prove that Putin had knew or reasonably should have known what his troops were doing. Now, will that ever come to pass? I mean, you'd have to start with the shooters and go up through the command um, hierarchy um, in the Russian military and get to somebody who says, Putin ordered this or he condoned it, he sanctioned it, that's going to be a tall order. Um, You know, it could be others who have committed the war crimes. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the Vietnam War. Remember the My Lai Massacre? Lieutenant Calley, they got him, you know, he was prosecuted, he was convicted. But just because he committed a war crime, he was killing civilians, clearly outside the scope of, you know, the, the rules of military engagement, Just because he did that, there was no proof that he was doing that under orders from his superiors. Um, So it it never went much beyond him and his immediate group that were in the uh, platoon with him um, committing these atrocities. So there's a lot of work before you're ever going to get up to the Putin level to prove that he knew or sanctioned the this the unspeakable horrible things going on in in ukraine is being executed it's it's astonishing we're seeing it in the 21st century and essentially western europe tim dodd finally um boy the jazzle korea we talked about this it, it seems odd and, and 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 surprisingly enough I, I i don't understand that he's granted even yet another postponement He's got good lawyers. It's got to be. <laughs> well, he does. Um, wow. His his attorneys were in court asking that, um, based upon briefs that were submitted, that uh, Jaziel Korea remain on bail while his case is on appeal hmm. so that he never has to go to jail yep. until the appellate court hears um, the case. Now, the, the judge who is hearing this says, I'll delay the, when you have to surrender to the prison system so that your lawyers can go up, I believe, to the First Circuit to see if the judges in the First Circuit will overrule the trial judge on this notion that, no, I'm not going to let you remain out of prison on bail while your case is on appeal. If the First Circuit says we agree with the trial judge, that the judge did not abuse his discretion and Korea should start serving his sentence now 
while the appeal is ongoing, then he'll go off to the can. I don't think that the First Circuit is going to overrule the uh, trial judge. Right. That's a discretionary, and it doesn't appear the judge has abused his discretion. I mean, Jay-Z was found guilty of a number of counts here. But, you know, he's now delaying the commencement of his prison sentence, I think, until April 22nd, thereabouts. By then, the First Circuit should have determined whether they're going to sustain the judge's decision about no, you don't get to stay out while your case is on appeal, or the opposite. I mean, not everyone has to serve their prison sentence while their case is on appeal. I mean, yep. fam- famously in Rhode Island, look at Klaus von Bülow. He was That's found right. guilty of murder, yes. and he stayed out, you know, living it up while his case was on appeal. He never spent a day in prison, to my recollection. So every case he did is not different. Buddy, Buddy Cianci, you know, he was hoping for that. But he did not get that and still had to go to prison. And then even though his appeal was turned down. Well, he first circuit, the fact that he didn't, that's that's a different topic for a different day. But you're right. That's a case where I think he had strong arguments to have stayed out while his case was on appeal. But um, the trial judge in the first circuit didn't agree. Tim Dodd, what about this? um, Alec Baldwin calls for the judge to dismiss the. $25 $25 million defamation lawsuit against him. I think Alec Baldwin's attorneys are correct on this one. Mm. I, I really do. Um, the, the, the short version on this is that um, one of the um, Marines who got killed in a suicide bombing in Afghanistan in the, in the waning days of that conflict uh, has a sister who was um, trying to raise money Alec Baldwin, I think, contributes $5,000 to this fund to honor this fallen Marine who gets killed in this suicide bombing. So Alec Baldwin starts out doing the right thing. Here's $5,000 to respect, you know, your fallen brother. He was a hero, you know, saying all the right things. I guess there's some back and forth, and this sister um, was involved in or putting forth video um, supporting the actions of the protesters on the January 6th um, U.S. Capitol incident. Now, we know that Alec Baldwin does not agree with those who are participating in trying to uh, right. overturn the election. So he corresponds with this woman. Is it, was this you? Is this what you're putting forth? And she says, yep, that's our you know, right to protest. It was legally done. So he says, well, I'm going to re- retreat. I'm going to retweet this to my two and a half million followers. Good luck. This is last week. Good luck. So he does it. And a lot of his supporters start um, attacking this woman with hate speech, you know, and other scurrilous things that are said by people in social media. So now she's suing Alec Baldwin, saying that she's been defamed by him. He says... I only reposted what she voluntarily put out there. Right. I simply took what she had posted mm, and reposted it. it to my followers. Yeah. So that's not defamatory. And there were certain conversations that were had, I think, either verbally or through the internet, just between he and her that he didn't share on his social media platform. Unless there's a communication to third parties, that would not be uh, ripe for defamation. So what he and she spoke about privately is not cause for defamation. And the material that he did put out was material she had already put out under her own name. So I think he wins this one. Yeah. Tim Dodd, finally, um, and it's brief, but Governor McKee today um, this should be uh, his supporters should be excited. He he's claiming that there's nothing to these accusations of the FBI probe. So I guess there's nothing to worry about. I don't think that's ever happened before where a politician accused of a crime is claiming now that, that there's nothing there. Yeah, that's a, that's a shocking <laughs> development. It I is. mean, I, I think, well, uh, politicians are 
of, of people, but yeah. if, if I had a client who had an FBI investigation and the yeah. specter of a grand jury, I don't care if he's governor or whatever right. he might be, I would tell him to shut his mouth, yeah. don't talk about it. No. Um, and anytime he's asked about it, said, I have lots to say, yep. but I can't say it because as an investigation, I can't wait till I can tell you everything that you'd like to know about this. Right but I can't do it. So you can put a very positive spin on this for public consumption without really saying anything. Yeah. He was the, uh, saying, saying at the, the uh, in speaking with the media at a press briefing, um, well, it was a state of emergency, almost intimating. Like if I did break the law, it was because it was a state of emergency. I, I don't see how that benefits you either. And I don't, I don't think that's going to wash with, now again, we don't know what this is going to happen, what's going to go on, but, I, I don't think that's one of the ways that you can defend against it saying, you know, well, it, it was a state of emergency. If I did, if I did do something wrong, it's just because the pandemic. Well, I, I'm, I'm not intimately <laughs> familiar with the emergency legislation. We know that the governor under emergency authority during a pandemic right, can do true. certain things. Executive orders, but, yeah. So, you know, there was a time when we were in the in the early days of covid if we'll recall that governors of the various states were pulling all sorts of rabbits out of their hats trying to get masks that's right remember there was a shortage yes. so people were making deals almost like going to the black market to get yes. these masks now i'm not sure if the acquisition of those masks required the normal open bid process Right. Hey, there's a shortage. There's a pandemic. I'm trying to get my people, keep my people safe. I'll go pay what I got to pay to get these things in here as quickly as I can. Mm. Um, that might be an exception, but what this um, company was engaged to do, yeah. I don't know if there was that sort of exigent circumstance, even though right. there was a pandemic to have allowed the governor to act as he did in giving the contract to this company, despite the fact that there was a lower bidder. I, I think that, again, he should keep quiet about this. <laughs> the more he keeps talking. Tim Dodd, we're back in the U.S. It was quite an adventure. Thank you for your cooperation while, uh, while we're over there. It was, um, I, I can't actually wait to see you uh, in person just to tell you about what it was like entering Ukraine several times and uh just the insight you get off of something like that it was um it was is very unique but thank you for your yeah, uh, support uh, and cooperation while I'm, we were I'm, overseas. I'm looking forward to getting debriefed at the appropriate <laughs> time i'm just happy you're home safe and sound and you, uh, keep up the good work as always right. folks he is tim dot our legal expert tim great job as always and we'll talk to you again thanks john take care of the john DePietro show brought to you by realtor pat elston call pat today 401 401- Four seven four fifty two fifty three. There's a link right directly to her on the website depetro.com. Caldwell Banker Realty, based in Cumberland, twenty years experience, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Pat services all of Rhode Island and southeastern Mass. Contact Pat Elston today four zero one four seven four fifty two fifty three, and you can find her right on the website depetro.com.